Good evening, Grace Covenant Church. How's everybody tonight? Is your faith high? Oh, come on. I like it. I like the feedback when I preach, so I'm, I'm there's a room full of faith. Uh, my name's A.J. McGraw. If you don't know me, I'm the small group's pastor at Grace Covenant here, this church, the one that you're in. Uh, if you're joining us tonight online, watching the live stream podcast, you couldn't make it. We're glad you're joining us online, too. Um, I'm glad to see that you're all here because um, when I drove in, it was like a downpour for about five minutes, and I thought, oh, man, it's going to be over tonight. <laughs> is nobody going to come to church? The 66 is going to be locked up, but I'm glad to see the faithful, the resilient, you all here tonight in the house of God because um, I'm believing for tonight that we've got a word from the Lord. I'm going to do my best to uh, be uh, not the impediment to it getting to you. Um, so I'm grateful for your faith being here I was watching a, a TED Talk. I actually listened to the book, one of the few times I've listened to the book, but it's 2019. So I was watching a TED Talk called Grit. Anyone know this? Grit? Angela Duckworth? Okay, just a few people. All right. Angela Duckworth is a former management consultant, much like myself, turned seventh grade math teacher, unlike myself. She was in the New York City public schools. Uh, she went from this career in management consulting and strategy and analytics into seventh grade classroom to teach math. And as she was grading papers, she became really obsessed with the question of which of her students would be successful and why. Because she noticed that her higher IQ students didn't always do the best on the tests and that some of her more average or lower IQ students actually were succeeding quite well. So this sparked for her, for her a research project to determine who is successful and why. Is it due to talent or effort? We marvel at talent, right? I mean, when you see somebody that's just naturally gifted, it is just like an incredible thing to watch. Like, you know, you watch LeBron James or Steph Curry or any of these basketball players who just seem to be so athletically gifted. You're just like, well, I'll never do that, but I love to watch it. I was going to talk about some famous musician, but quite frankly, when I watch Darian Duncan play the bass and manage this worship team, I see, come on, Darian is amazing. He's not here tonight, but hopefully he'll watch the podcast. I see a guy who is so naturally gifted at music, it makes me mad. I can't, he just, he can listen to f four bars of a song and play the whole thing on any instrument. It's so frustrating. <laughs> but we look at the talent and we're like, man, that's amazing. I could never do that. Angela Duckworth's research proved time and time again that where talent counts once, effort counts twice. Where talent counts once, effort counts twice. It's twice as important, twice as meaningful for you to apply effort in order to achieve success. She proved this true in students who would graduate from West Point. She proved it true in students who uh, would succeed or fail in school based on economic status. It didn't have an impact, as one might think. Students who are better off, better homes, more money in the household, you might think they would have more access to more things, but it wasn't actually an indicator. It was how hard they worked. She calls this attribute grit. It is a sustained effort towards a goal, and it's the biggest indicator of achievement. It's what she calls passion plus perseverance. 
And I found this topic really interesting because I love stories that prove this theory true, and I think you do too, right? Does anyone like an underdog story? Like a story of the, of the little guy overcoming the big guy, right? The miracle on ice, Rudy, remember the Titans? Come on, hey, somebody, we're in range now. I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm lose that crowd with these next three stories, but that's okay. Stay with me, guys. Just, act, just put your faith with mine. If you know the story of like Anne Frank or Corey Ten Boom, right? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Right, standing up to the Third Reich in Nazi Germany, overcoming threat to life and to family and to imprisonment, to do amazing things, to have amazing stories. If you know the story of Louis Zamperini, you remember the movie Unbroken, the book Unbroken? He was a pilot. His, his plane crashed in World War II. He almost died in the water, got on a life raft, survived. However many days you think at sea is too many, it's that many twice, okay? I can't remember. On a life raft until he finally washes up on shore, praise God, in enemy-occupied territory where he's immediately taken captive as a POW, his story is insane. It's incredible, and I love that. It motivates me. It inspires me. It gives me a picture of what I think I would do in the same situation. What I think I would do, (laughs) what I would like to think I would do, because when the little things of my life come against me, maybe you're like me, I'm, I'm pretty quick with an excuse. Like the, like, like the time is not right right now. If it was a different time, it would be a better time. I'm not quite where I need to be with everything. So like, like if I were Louis Zamperini, I could do it, but I'm not. So I just, you know, like the circumstances were a little bit different, then I, then I could persevere, then I could do it. But these stories of resilience, of perseverance, of overcoming odds are so inspiring. The idea of grit leading you to be successful is so important because for us as believers, the question about grit, the question about our resilience becomes a major part of our day-to-day lives. In fact, it dictates whether we survive, thrive, or die as believers. The quality of our faith, the resilience of our faith will dictate whether we just get by, whether we come into all that God has promised, or whether we walk away. Tonight's message is titled, A Resilient Faith. And the question that I want to ask and hopefully answer for you tonight is, what produces a resilient faith? A faith that says no matter what the circumstances, no matter what was said, no matter what was done, no matter how bad it hurts, my faith will remain true, solid, tried and tested all the way to the end. What produces that? What does it take to have a faith that has grit? And I want to use a man's story tonight to shed some light on this. Um, It's a man I think you're all probably somewhat familiar with, if not maybe just you know his name. If you've hung around church long enough, I'm sure you know his name. His name's Paul. You guys know Paul? The Apostle Paul, anyone heard of Paul? Yeah, 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 okay. One person reads his Bible. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go back. We don't have time for this message. The Bible is a book uh, with two parts. (laughs) And most of the second part was written by a guy named Paul. All right, um... The Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen and a Jew. He studied the Hebraic law. He was a Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee. And he was a staunch defender of the traditional law. He was Saul of Tarsus before he was Paul. 
Saul of Tarsus was a name that resonated fear and anxiety in believers at that time. I don't want to do a comparison to people in our history of like Saul of Tarsus would be like this person because I don't think that's, that's particularly helpful. But Saul of Tarsus was a guy who persecuted, sought out, beat, bound up, and uh, wanted to imprison believers of the way, or what we call today Christianity, followers of Christ. This was what he was known for, and he was good at it. And he was on his way to Damascus when Jesus appears to him with a blinding light and asks him, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You can read this story in Acts. I'm not going to go through all of that. But Paul has a divine and an amazing and a radical encounter with Christ. And he changes his ways. He goes and sees a man named Ananias. Ananias heals his sight so that he can see again. Paul now, instead of uh, persecuting the believers, he's now preaching to the believers. As soon as he, uh, the scales fall from his eyes, he changes everything he does. And you got to just empathize. You might know this story, and if you've been in church a lot, you're like, yeah, okay, go, okay. But just pause for a moment on this man Saul, who was now Paul, who was known for what he did with the Pharisees. He was a cool kid. He was popular. He was successful. He was feared by those that they sought out. And he turned away from them to go join the people that he's been persecuting, imprisoning, beating, and abusing. That's not like, that just doesn't happen easily. You don't just leave the people you love and go to the people you hate, and both sides are like, cool, man, happy to, great. That doesn't happen. Paul was alone. He had nobody. But he was so changed by the gospel that he was glad to do it. And there's one particularly transparent passage of Scripture that I want us to look at tonight. It's in 2 Corinthians 11, and then we're going to go into 12 a little bit. So if you've got your Bible or your phone with a Bible app, pull that out, go to 2 Corinthians 11. And while you turn there, I'm going to set it up. Paul is writing his third letter to the church in Corinth because the church in Corinth just can't get it right. <laughs> He's got to write them a lot and visit them a lot. He's defending his ministry because there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a faction of believers in Corinth that are questioning him, that are doubting him, that are opposing him, and there's a lot of issues in that church, and Paul is trying to make it not about him, but about Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he says, you ask, you know, do we follow Paul? Do we follow Apollo? Do we follow Christ? And Paul's saying, it's not about any of us but Christ. You're baptized in the name of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about Apollo. Like, just pay attention. Listen, Corinth, but they don't get it. And there's all this talk about Paul. And I mean, when I present it the way I just presented it, it's kind of like, well, he did have a history. I mean, maybe then Corinth, they had a little bit of reason to doubt. Paul reaches a breaking point in 2 Corinthians 11. He has to speak. He has to respond. And so he does. And I want to use this passage to look at Paul's faith and what motivates it. If you're in 2 Corinthians 11, go down to verse 21. We're going to read 21 through 29, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 12. It's a big chunk of, 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 of scripture. Who loves to read their Bible? Come on, come on, come on. Who loves to read their Bible? Okay. Join your faith with mine here. We're going to read this, and we're going to see what it says to us. Paul, at his breaking point, says this. 
But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. I've got far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys I'm in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and am I not indignant? You can read the next few verses tonight in your Bible study and you can read verses one through six of chapter 12. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Just turn the page or hit the arrow. We're gonna start in verse seven. Paul describes a few more trials that he goes through having to escape Damascus by being lowered through a window And then he goes into talking about the dreams and revelations that he has. He's been called up to the third heaven, the things that he has seen. And in verse 7, where I want to pick up, just because I don't have time to exhort all of that, we're going to just look at 7 through 10 here. He says this. So again, he's just talking about all the dreams and visions and revelation. He's just described all the things that he's dealt with. And he says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Heavenly Father, help us as we study this tonight. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment, Lord, that we would receive from you your word for us in this time. If we want to make it through this world, if we want to come into all that God has for us, it's going to take a resilient faith. And I want to talk about what it means and what it looks like to have resilience in four areas. To have resilience in the physical, in the mental, in the emotional, and in the spiritual. Paul first affirms his identity in this passage. Are, are, am I not a Hebrew? So am I. Israelite, me too. Offspring of Abraham, me too. Servant of Christ, me too. Everything else we talk about tonight is not an identity issue. Paul affirms that up front. Is this not who I am? This is who I am. So now we talk about how we persevere through the things that come against us. The physical pain of life. 39 lashes. I got that five times, he said. I was beaten with rod three times. I was stoned once. 
You're only supposed to get stoned once. That's supposed to be the end of the chapter. Somebody else wrote this on behalf of Paul, and then he was stoned. Second Corinthians is over, right? That's supposed to kill you. He was shipwrecked three times, he was adrift at sea, and he was in danger from rivers, robbers, in the city, in the wilderness, at sea. He was thirsty, he was hungry, he was cold, he was in exposure in the wilderness. Paul experienced every physical pain that he could. What physical battles are you fighting? Is it sickness, illness, a disease? Is it chronic pain? There's something in you that's not been identified? Something that comes back time and time again? Is it a fertility issue? You can't have the child that you want or you lost the child that you had? It's a very real and very present physical pain that we have, and Paul endured all of them. You are not alone. You are not alone in your pain. The question for us to identify whether we have a resilient faith in the face of physical pain is not, can God heal my pain? The question is, will I love him if he doesn't? Because faith says God can heal. And resilient faith says, I love him even if he doesn't. How do we respond in the face of physical pain? Because Paul says all of that, all of that. That's a huge list of things. And then he calls this out specifically. He says, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This is the mental battle. You may not have been shipwrecked tonight. You probably weren't beaten with rods. You probably haven't received 39 lashes. But I can bet Northern Virginia resident that you have felt pressure and anxiety. It is in the air that we breathe. If you have access to the internet, the battle of comparison, the thief of joy, is everywhere in front of us. The mental battles that we fight, I want you to know Paul faced them too. The things that kept him up at night, the pressure of the faith, put yourself in his shoes. He has received the gospel, he's established churches, and he's spinning the plates trying to keep them going. And he keeps writing to the Corinthians, (laughs) get it right. And he's writing to the other churches in Ephesus and in Rome and all these things. And he's trying to keep it up. And I'm thinking, Paul might be thinking, if this doesn't go well, this could all be over in an instant. I have to maintain. I have to do it. And there's fear. There's anxiety. There might be insecurity for you. I don't know what the mental battles you fight are. What torments you at night? Thoughts that you're just afraid that you have. You don't even want to talk about them. Depression, maybe, anxiety, things that keep us bound up. It's the mental pain of life. Paul battled them, just like you and me. And the question about whether we have resilient faith is not, does God know my thoughts? The question indicating resilient faith is, can I trust him with them? Because faith says God knows my thoughts. He knows every hair on my head. He knows he knit me together in my mother's womb before I even speak. He knows what I think. That's faith. That's that's good. But resilient faith 
says, God, I can trust you with my thoughts, with my fear, with my anxiety. I can release them to you. Paul goes on to describe in there emotional pain. He says, I'm in danger from my people. I'm in danger from the Gentiles. I'm in danger from false brothers. Nobody wanted Paul. I just want to stress this. At the start of this, nobody wanted Paul. The Pharisees didn't want him. They wanted to persecute him and silence him. The Gentiles didn't want him. Please send somebody else, Lord, not Saul of Tarsus. Anybody else. The people that he traveled with would betray him and let him down. Isolated, alone, afraid. He says, I endured insults, persecution. Paul endured rejection. Let us not minimize how much man can hurt us emotionally and what that will do to us if we don't deal with it. This may be for us the greatest area, the greatest need for resilience because nobody hurts like people and nobody hurts like your family. And quite frankly, nobody hurts sometimes like your church. I mean, the church is full of people and quite frankly, people are terrible. <laughs> not intentionally, we're not trying to be, but just we all battle the same problem of sin and pride and selfishness, of focusing on who we are rather than what other people need, and we all get together and we try to make it work, and let me just free you from something. We will let you down. Pastor Brett shared this a few years ago, when I, uh, many years ago, actually, when I started coming to Grace, and it really set me free. He said, if you hang around us long enough, we'll let you down. I think last year, Pastor Jim preached a message. He said, um, it was either one message or a series. It could have been a message so good it felt like a series. It probably was. But he says, the greatest cause of offense is unmet expectations. So let me help you with your expectations. I will let you down. We will fail you. I will say something, hopefully not tonight, but maybe that will offend you. I might make light of a situation that is really significant to you. I may not follow up with you, with you the way that you want. I may not be able to give you the time and attention that you want. I might just forget. I had a lunch appointment today at noon with a guy that I just forgot about. And 10 minutes before, I remembered and I was 30 minutes away. I just felt terrible. There's emotional hurt that comes just by being around people. So when man lets us down, let us be slow to take the position of the offended. Let us be slow to take the position of the victim. And let us remember that the same grace that you need, they need. You should identify yourself not as that, that one who is oppressed, but as a co-heir with Christ, as a minister of the gospel, the one who can extend forgiveness, can extend grace, who will not abandon and walk away and reject and badmouth, but will take a position that Jesus took when time and time again the people that he was going to die for cursed his name and rejected him and blasphemed him. Let us take that position. Because God has called us in the church to have unity. So we can't settle for less. We can't agree to disagree. 
We can't say it's okay, you go that way, I go this way. We have to press for unity. He says, the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given to them that they may be one as you and I are one. That is a profound truth beyond our comprehension. What does it mean for the Father and the Son to be one? Now, what does it mean for you and I to be one like that? So we have to press for unity. The question to be asked in this setting is not, can they be forgiven? The question that indicates a resilient faith is, will I forgive them again? If they did it to me again, would I forgive them again? Because faith says God will forgive them, God will deal with them, and that'll be fine. But resilient faith says, I'll forgive them now, I'll forgive them again, and you know what? Class 201, I'll even bless them. I'll find a way to honor them. They who have hurt me, they who have not extended forgiveness, they who do not feel remorse or guilt. That is a resilient faith. And then lastly, there's the spiritual pain. 2 Corinthians 12 in verse 8, Paul describes his thorn. He says this, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Listen to me. There is a spiritual pain that we can feel. And it's not that we have the thorn in our side. It's not that we have the physical pain. It's not that we have the mental battle. It's not that we deal with the anxiety or the fear or the depression. That's not the spiritual pain that we feel. It's not the emotional pain, the trauma that we've been through, the hurt that's in our heart, the oppression in our soul. The spiritual pain is that there is a God that I would say, please take it from me. And there's a chance that in his divinity, in his all-knowingness, in his desire to produce something in you, he might say, no. How could a loving God say no to a prayer like that? Am I not his son? Am I not a royal priesthood? Am I not set apart? Am I not chosen? There is a pain we can feel for prayers unanswered. There's a blame that we can put on God that says, you have not heard me or responded to me. What is, what is wrong with you? Do you not see me? Church, what offenses are you carrying towards God? The pain isn't, why do I fight it? The pain is, why won't you release me from it? I mean, Paul was a faithful apostle of God. He was a true convert. He established the church of God. He was the rock on which Christ built his church. Out of anybody, he had every natural reason to ask God to take this thorn from him. And he did. Three times I did, he said. But the thing for Paul was this. The persevering pain was the thing that produced his persevering faith. 
The persevering pain that Paul dealt with was the thing that produced the faith that he needed to do what he was called to do. That Paul would never become conceited, would never become the Paul show, would never become arrogant and egotistical and say, you should listen to me because of who I am. He knows his weakness. He knows that, God, I can't do any of this without you. The question is not, does God care about me? The question is, God, what are you producing in me? Because faith says God cares about me. But a resilient faith says, I will continue to fight this battle as he produces a good work in me. That is a resilient faith. I will continue to fight this battle until he produces a good work in me. Because here's the reality. Jesus says this in John 16, He says, in this world, you will have tribulations. But take heart. Because I've overcome the world. The enemy is coming, you guys. He is on the attack. He does not care about you. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He seeks to kill and destroy. This is why Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Get geared up for battle. Because the enemy is coming. But Jesus says this. My grace is sufficient for you. I have already overcome the world. This type of resilient faith is a radical faith. And I want to show you why. Because when Paul cried out to God three times, take this away, Lord. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. He reminds us in John, I've overcome the world by the work of the cross. I have overcome sin, hell, and death. I have overcome that which would destroy you, that which would kill you. I have already taken care of that. Son and daughter, my grace is sufficient for you. It is all that you need. If you want to have a resilient faith, you've got to deeply understand what grace means, the unmerited favor of God, you getting that which you don't deserve. And when that becomes enough for you, his power can be perfected in your weakness. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. When we recognize our lack before God, when we humbly approach him, when we realize I am not enough, I'm empty, Lord. I'm an empty vessel. God, there's nothing in me that's good. There's nothing in me that can do this. That's what God can use. God can fill up an empty vessel. But when we're full of pride and self-worth and like determination and all these things, there's no room for the Spirit of God to be applied. When we empty ourselves... God's power can do what is intended to do. It is perfected when we are humbled before God. The key here is this. The things that produce resilience in the natural, Angela Duckworth, grit, passion, plus perseverance, is not the thing that produces resilience in the kingdom of God. That you can motivate yourself to have a big enough desire that you can work hard enough and grind hard enough and do enough might produce resilience in the natural things, to your job, perhaps, to your studies, maybe. 
But in the kingdom of God, it is when we say, Lord, I am weak and I am empty and I am useless before you, God. Fill me up with your spirit, Lord. In that moment of weakness, his strength is made perfect. Do you hear the power that's behind that? Do you hear it? God, your grace is all that I need. If I'm not healed, your grace is all that I need. If the thoughts don't go away, your grace is all that I need. If it hurts tomorrow, your grace is all that I need. It's all that I need. It's like a man with nothing to lose. There's power in that. There is strength in that. So Paul says, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. When we get to that point before the cross, that's when we're strong. That is a radical faith because it destroys the spirit of entitlement that says you deserve a happy and comfortable life. You deserve more. You deserve a new car. You deserve a new house. You deserve a better job. You deserve a bigger this and a better that. When we destroy that, when we lay that at the cross of God, when we put it at the feet of the altar and said, God, I don't deserve anything because I've got your grace. And that grace is all that I need. So God, take it all from me, but leave your grace. There's power. There is strength. There is resilience. There is hope for tomorrow in that moment. Paul finishes with this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, would you stand up with me? We're going to pray into this for a moment. And uh, if Stephen's in here, we can play some keys because we're going to pray for a minute. Let me just have some background here. I want to pray with you into this idea of God's grace being sufficient because it demands a moment of meditation. Demands a moment with God. So whatever the posture of your heart is, if you need to get on your knees, you need to lift your hands, you need to close your eyes, you need to sit back down, whatever that is, can we just together, Grace Covenant Church, family, can we just go before God and pray into his grace being enough? Lord, the work that you did on the cross for us is enough. It covers our sin. It reconciles us with the Father. It is more than we deserve. God, your grace, your mercy, your love for us is enough. Father, I am weak, Lord, but you are strong. In my weakness, Lord, I can see your strength. Where I am lacking, God, you have grace abundant. Your mercies are new each day. Jesus, as I look at you on the cross and see you hanging, as the weight of the sin of the world falls upon you and you release your spirit unto the Father, you have me in mind. You have my battle in mind, my struggle in mind, my hurt in mind. And God, you make a way in that moment for me. And that is all that I need. If I don't take another breath, if I don't cash another paycheck, if the pain doesn't stop, Lord, you have done what I have needed you to do above everything else. God, your grace 
is enough. Can we in this moment keep praying? Can we in this moment boast in our weakness? Because the Spirit of God is here, the presence of God is here, and this moment I don't want us to miss. If you have a physical need, a physical ailment, a hurt, a sore, something chronic, fertility issue, would you just throw your hand up high? Just throw it up high so I can see who's here. Just throw it up high. Okay. Keep it up for a moment. Just, just, just keep it up for a moment. Boast in your weakness. Don't be afraid of this. Boast in your weakness. If you have a mental battle, I know this one can be hard to admit, but if you're fighting a mental battle, thoughts of fear, thoughts of anxiety, thoughts of depression, throw your hand up too. Just throw your hand up. If that's you, you have a mental battle. If you have an emotional hurt, a trauma, a relationship that wounded you, a parent, a teacher, a coach, if you have emotional hurt that you need healing from, would you throw your hand up? Throw it up high and hold it up. Throw it up high and hold it up. Don't be afraid of this moment. Boast in my weakness, says Paul, because when I am weak, then the power of God can do what it was intended to do in my life. So if you have emotional hurt, throw your hand up. Don't be afraid. And if you have a spiritual need, you're mad at God. You're holding a grudge against him. You're resistant to him. Something there in your past has offended you greatly. Would you throw your hand up before God Almighty? Would you say, Lord, it's me. I know I'm wrong. But God, you just got to know that it hurts. It hurts and I don't know if I can carry it anymore. If that's you, just throw your hand up. There's hands up all over this room. Because we are all in need of the power of Christ. We are all in need of healing. We are all in need of a Savior. If this is you and you don't have a Savior, I'm going to talk to you afterwards. Come down front and find me afterwards. We're going to pray in this moment. We're going to do 715 Wednesday night prayer circles. So if you would, there are hands up all over this room. Could you just get in a, in, a, in a circle of three or four or five? Find somebody with their hand up around you, whether you've got a hand up or not. Just take a moment. We're going to believe God for this moment. Don't be afraid. Boast in your weakness. Boast in your weakness. Let me tell you, every hand was up. So don't feel like, did they see it? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. All of our hands were up. Find two, three, four people. We're just going to pray for just a moment. We're just going to pray for just a moment because we have to capitalize on the moment of God that is at hand. When he speaks, we need to listen. When the word is right, we need to respond. So very quickly, as we pray, if your hand was up, just very quickly, just tell them in your group, maybe just go around the group real quick, just say it's, it's a mental need, it's an emotional need, it's a spiritual need, it's a physical need. Let your, your brothers and sisters target their faith. So just tell them real quick. Go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear voices all over the room. It's a mental need. It's an emotional need. It's a spiritual need. It's a physical need. Just tell him. Pop, pop, pop. We're going to believe God in this moment. We're going to pray. Where two or three are gathered in his name, Christ shows up. And our God is a healer. And his grace is enough. But he still moves on our behalf because his grace is beyond our understanding. He still hears us when we cry. So go ahead, begin to pray for your brothers and sisters. I'll pray over top, but just press in for a moment. We won't extend it too long. It won't, it won't take too long. But activate your faith in this moment that we would see a move of God beyond that which we are deserving of. 
that we would see physical pain healed in this moment. Lord, we ask backs that have been sore for years, knees that have unusual pain that we don't know where it came from, vision, heart issues, cancer, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask, would you heal? By your Holy Spirit, would you heal your people? And God, know that even if you don't, we love you the same. But Lord, we ask for a move of God in this moment, in our physical need. Father, over our minds, over the thoughts that keep us up at night, the things we can't resist, the things we can't fight against, we can't stop them, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, make them stop. Release your children from fear. Let there be a new portion in this moment. You who are suffering from sleepless nights, you just can't get yourself to sleep. Would tonight be the night you get a full eight hours? Would tonight be the night that the dream doesn't come? Lord, we don't deserve it, but we ask that you would do it because you love us. For the emotional hurt, the pain, and the trauma, the wound and the oppression on our soul that weighs heavy against us so much that we perpetrate it towards others, we reject because we were rejected. Father, the generational curses may be of abuse or rejection or abandonment. Lord, we ask be broken in this moment by the power of Jesus Christ. But no, God, even if they aren't, we love you just the same. Your grace is all that we need, God, but would you abundantly meet your children in this moment, O oh Lord? And Father, those of us who hold something against you, a rock of offense, Father, we repent. Forgive me. Lord, where I have doubted you, where I have been mad at you, where I have not understood and lashed out at you, where I have rejected you, Lord, forgive me. Make me new. Cleanse me, God. Restore me. Bring back to me the fullness of joy. God, I turn from what I was to be what you have called me to be, to be what I am. Lord, your grace is sufficient. It is enough. It's all that I want. Take a few more seconds to finish your prayer. Finish your prayer before God. Petition on behalf of your brothers and sisters.